I want to talk about how much I love tag team wrestling and specifically my favorite part of a tag team match. It's the hot tag, baby. We recently got the hot tag over at SaveWithConrad.com for Michael in Williamstown, New Jersey. He left us a five-star review and he had this to say, when I started the refi process, I went to the company that held my loan to ask about a refi. They were less than optimistic about some of our refinance goals. A fan of Conrad's podcast, I wanted to give Conrad a shot at earning my business. I worked with Jimmy and immediately got the sense that our goals were realistic. I locked in an ultra low rate and the terms that made the deal were a no brainer for me. In the end, I cut six years off of my loan and saved about $90,000. I can't thank Conrad, Jimmy and Eric enough. Think about that, man. His first company, the company who had his current mortgage said, I don't know if we can do that. And the old wrestling podcast team pulled through, baby. Got six years off his loan, $90,000. Are you serious? It's the best rate he's ever had on a mortgage. And it all happened at SaveWithConrad.com. He saved 90 grand, but how much can you save? It's free to find out right now. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. But it's not a matter if you can save money. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now. SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. So a lot of us have been through this, you know, finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but you hate all the pressure of what's next. Of course, there's all the engagement talk, but then there's the pressure from actually shopping for a ring, hassle, haggling, finding a store to trust, trying to figure out the four C's discounts, sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. But at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged. And that's why guys really hate Steven Singer. He takes away every excuse in the book about not buying the ring. And he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler that has been making it so easy to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. There's no call center. There's no sales. There's no haggling. There's no coupon codes. There's no discounts, just the best price possible guaranteeing the best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. And by the way, they're open now. You don't need an appointment. Just stop by or online at I hate always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate or if you're in the area, go check him out anytime at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. As for me here in Alabama, I'm going to check out. I hate and you should too.
Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm double-fisted. I got two cups of coffee. <laughs> I am ready to go because one won't do it. You know, uh, one of my favorite rappers is two chains. I'm going to start calling you two cups. You're ready to go, man. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Two cups. Why not? two cups. Well, today we're doing something a little different. I guess we should address the elephant in the room right up front. We're a little later than we would have liked to have been. Uh, I took a very rare vacation. I was out of town. I uh, went to Mexico for a bit had a great time. Came back a little sunburned, but I came back on father's day. And of course, uh, the family had other plans. So. Uh, I was sort of chasing my tail yesterday, so I'm sorry that I'm just now able to sit down with you, Eric, but I'm still excited about why we're here. But before we talk about that, I guess you should probably catch everybody up on what you've been up to this last week. Oh, we had a blast out here in Cody this week. Uh, Sonny Ono and his wife, Julie came out. Um, I've known Sonny and his wife for, uh, for a long time, but I can't even do the math. I can't, but can't find my calculator yet. So I'd have, I'd have to use that to figure it out. But, uh, Known Sonny for a long, long time. Hacksaw Jim Duggan and his wife, Deborah, came out. Now, I, I have to admit, and Jim and I were joking about this, you know, we've known each other for 25 or so years and worked together for quite a while. Never sat down and really had a conversation. It was, you know, outside of business. It was always just, you know, discussing what needed to be done uh, on any given show. But we never really hung out and socialized or got to know each other. Well, we changed all that Great. <laughs> this past week, and what a what a fun couple! I mean, Jim Duggan and his wife Deborah—they've been together for thirty-seven years. Just laughed my ass off the whole time. And then Ernest Miller and his wife Kalita came out, and they were all coming out to participate in a celebrity uh, softball game and golf tournament. There was a lot of big names there. It was—it it kind of surprised me. Otis Nixon was there, and. John Rocker was there. He's a hoot. Denny Nagel was there. Interesting cat indeed. A uh, lot of a lot of big names came out to play, and we just had a had a blast. Uh, but yeah, it was so much fun. Ernest and his wife Kalita were just a joy to have around, and we had them over, and we cooked on the rec tech, and you know had a beverage or two. Actually, we cooked on a rec tech about three nights in a row, so that was great. They loved it. And I just had an amazing time. I convinced that I will never, ever play around to golf in my life. <laughs> I, I I did a good job. Sonny and I were nav- we were coaches. We were golf coaches for Ernest and, and and Hacksaw. We spent a lot of time on a golf cart. Had a lot of laughs. I decided I would try to to hit a golf ball with a golf club. I think it was called a driver. Yeah. That's oh, the club what, I used. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're the coach and, and you're not sure what a driver is. This is a rib here. Yeah. Well, that, that should give you a pretty good idea how the afternoon went for my team. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I did everything right, man. I kind of got up to the T that's what it's called. The T right. That little oh, stick Lord. You put the ball on, mm. right. I put the ball on the stick. Mm. I stuck it in the ground and it, Stayed there. It took me a couple of times, but I got to stay right where we're supposed to stay. And I sit back, man, because because I've seen Happy Gilmore. I know, of course, I know how it's supposed to look. Yes, right. So I did my best thing. I kind of, you know, got my hips loosened up, kept my eye on the ball, relaxed, took a nice deep breath, 
exhale, I reach back, I just nice swing, you know, what's mm. that called? The backstroke. Got my mm. nice backstroke going on. Mm-hmm. And I swung as hard as I could. Oh, and I that's the ball by about three inches. Mm. And I think I jammed both elbows. I'm going to be going to an orthopedic surgeon sometime later on this week when I get some time because I think I did some damage. <laughs> I said, that's it. I will drink the beer and I will drive the cart. And I'll tell you not to hook or slice. That's the other, those are the other two words I figured out hook and slice. Did, did you legitimately hurt your elbows or you just having fun? No, I'm just having fun. Okay. God, but I fun. did miss the ball by about three inches and it did hurt. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of jokes in there that involve blue chew, but we're going to keep it going for now. I'm really excited that you got to hang out with these guys, especially hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's one of the only WWE legends that, uh, I've never actually had the pleasure of meeting. Tried to book him a couple of times for Starcast, but just didn't work out. And, uh, everybody I've ever talked to said that he's a man's man and a hell of a good time. So I'm glad you were he able is, to confirm all that. He, he, he is really a, a joy to be around. You know, he never, never a negative word comes out of his mouth. He's, he feels like he's just been blessed beyond belief to be in the business. The business has been very, very good to him. You know, he's got two daughters he put through college, you know, largely because of the success and the, the length of time that he was in the industry, but it's just, you know, he's one of those people. He's like, he reminds me of Dave Silva in a way, you know, you can't be in a room with Dave Silva and end up walking out of that room, being in anything other than a great mood. Yes. He's just one of those people that just make you smile and make you laugh. Even if you walked into that room in a pissed off mood within about 45 seconds, you're going to just walk out feeling like a whole different person. He's so positive and funny. He's got amazing stories. In fact, he sat in, uh, he sat in for you on for the heat, the radio show we do here, the local show on in Cody, and it's up over at adfreeshows.com. You should seriously give it a listen because he is, he is radio gold. Well, check it out. If you haven't already, uh, we're going to be back in the saddle this Wednesday night at ForTheHeat.com. Uh, you can hear it anywhere in the world. It is K O D I in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, but you can still listen live wherever you are, uh, even abroad at ForTheHeat.com. It's this Wednesday night to follow us uh, at 83 weeks and, and we'll get you a link there again as a reminder, but for the is where you should be this Wednesday, but where you should be today is the former WWE network now on Peacock. We're going to do a watch along for the July 1st, 1996 episode. Of course, this year we're knee deep in celebrating the 25th anniversary of the NWO. We've already watched two episodes. Uh, the episode where we would see Scott Hall debut and the episode where we would see Kevin Nash debut today. We're going to watch the outsiders take over the show. Uh, now in those other episodes of 83 weeks, we also watched Monday night raw. We're not going to do that today. Uh, this episode of Monday night raw is not particularly interesting, which apparently is a theme for raw in this era, but we did have, uh, I guess a couple of happenings we should address number one on the other side. The ultimate warrior had started to become uh, difficult. Shall we say he no showed a couple of shows, uh, because he was, uh, I guess, dealing with the death of his father. Vince McMahon took that personally, uh, because they had a close personal relationship. He and warrior and uh, warrior had always maintained that he hadn't seen his dad in X number of years and never cared to, and hope he died type deal. So then when he actually did die, he missed work and Vince was pissed off about it. That's sort of the gist of it. And WWE doesn't really refute that. 
but that to me still feels like, boy, that's weird. And that's going to be the end of the ultimate warrior experiment in 1996. Of course he debuted or not debuted, but returned in April at the, uh, WrestleMania event. And here we are now in June and the bloom is, is, is already off the rose. Were you surprised to hear that this ultimate warrior experiment only lasted a few months before it crashed and burned? You know, I don't think I was surprised. I was aware that the, uh, the relationship between Vince and warrior was volatile. You know, that warrior was volatile. I, I should probably the best way to say it a little bit unpredictable. Uh, so nothing really surprised me, but truthfully, I really wasn't paying any attention either. Uh, I had heard about it, but it just didn't really register, uh, on my Richter scale of things to be concerned with. We had so much going on in our end, the anticipation and, and, and everything. And keep in mind, I had my own, and Oh my God, I don't want to make this analogy, but you know, I was dealing with my own little bit of, uh, uh, instability in WCW insofar as I wasn't sure that Hulk Hogan was going to do what Hulk Hogan said he was going to do, mm. uh, in terms of turning heel. So I was literally, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate keeping sting ready to go just in case, uh, Hulk changed his mind at the last minute. We'll talk about that, you know, either on this episode or in future episodes, probably in a future episode. But there was, you know, I had plan A and plan B running through my head 24 hours a day leading up to Bash at the Beach. So I was more focused on what I was going to be doing and who I was going to be doing it with than I was with anything that was going on in WWE at the time. All right, Conrad, in addition to having a really busy weekend with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sonny Ono, Ernest the Cat Miller, and their spouses, Mrs. B and I decided to celebrate Father's Day and, and make something special on the Rectech. So we picked out a really cool recipe. It was a spicy Indian lamb kebab, and Rectech is perfect for that. What is Rectech, you may be asking? Well, <laughs> Rectech offers wood pellet grills fueled by all-natural hardwood pellets. And they have a lot of other lifestyle products, such as coolers, apparel, grill accessories, a ton more. And Rectech has grills for every single lifestyle and every budget, with a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility. And I can speak volumes to the versatility. We use our Rectech, I don't know, in the summertime, probably four or five nights a week. It's awesome. Rectech has a lifestyle series of grills that feature the gold standard PID Wi-Fi controllers. Now, this is the same form of temperature control used in commercial baking, brewing, and pharmaceuticals. You can control your grill from virtually anywhere in the world via the Rectech app. You can turn your tech up, down, off, whatever you want to do. And you can, not only that, you can, more importantly, I might add, monitor the internal temperature of whatever it is you're cooking on your phone. You don't have to be standing there right at your grill. And anybody that knows anything about grilling knows, as I've learned the hard way for getting my Rectech, that controlling the internal temperature of the meat is really the key for quality and consistency. And I'll tell you the other thing about Rectech I love, man, they brought back old school customer service with an emphasis on making everybody feel like a member of the Rectech family. Rectech offers industry-leading bumper-to-bumper warranties on all of their grills with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman and makes you the winner. All sh- grills ship free. 
and all orders over $99 ship me as well. You're going to love the Rec Deck. I love mine. Mine happens to be the flagship model, the RT700. It comes with 40 pounds, uh, a 40 pound pellet hopper, offering users roughly 40 hours of continuous cooking time. You've got 702 square inches of cookie space, so it is plenty big, even for your largest gatherings. And Rectex PID Wi-Fi controller and a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. You've got the best. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, even dehydrate on a Rectex. All with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know choose Rectex. Rectech is incredibly active on social media with tons of online resources. And they go live every weekday with cooking demonstrations. I happen to visit that myself quite often. Visit Rectech.com on social media. That's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. And it is more than a grill, my friends. It is a lifestyle. Take it from me. I also want to mention that Marty Jannetty is going to show up here on this edition of Monday night raw, July 1st, 1996 to face Shawn Michaels and, um, Jim Cornette is going to be with Marty Jannetty. Uh, it's sort of a, a hokey pokey relationship that the company had with Sean or not with Sean, but with Marty, Marty popped up for a cup of coffee in WCW. Why don't you think Marty had a bigger run with you guys? Was it just the old, uh, quote unquote demons that we hear so much about on the other side? You know, Marty Janetti and Shawn Michaels were in the AWA when I first arrived in 1987. Yeah. Vern Gagne. And actually, they were a tag team. I don't know if they were the champions or not in AWA, but nonetheless, they were a tag team and were on a card for the very first house show, live event that I ever promoted in AWA. And ironically, it was in Mason city, Iowa, where Sonny and, and his wife, Julie live, which had a lot to do with it because I was able to get syndication. I was able to get Vern's AWA television show on the local. I think it was a CBS affiliate called K I M T. Imagine that. I can't remember. It's crazy where I was at noon yesterday, but I can remember the call letters for, for the local television station in Mason city, Iowa where, uh, where we got the show, but we got the show on there in K- at KIMT in, in large part because of Sonny, Sonny knew the program director, which got me the meeting. And then, uh, we made the arrangements with a local radio station and we found a local charity and did all the things you need to do to promote a local wrestling event. And, uh, that was my very, very first event. And Marty and Sean were on that card along with Wahoo McDaniel Wow, and, Manny Fernandez. That's right. Wahoo and Manny in a bloodbath in Mason city, Iowa. But I I never really got to know Marty in AWA. Of course we crossed paths. We spoke, we said hello and all that, but never really got to know him. Loved his work in the AWA really loved his work. Um, By the time Marty made it back to Marty made it to WCW while I was uh, running it, he was a shell. Mm of his former self in terms of his performance. Now, I didn't see any indications of drug use. He didn't show up hammered or stoned or anything like that, Real time but he just that. didn't have, he wasn't the Marty Gennetti that I remembered. Now, granted it was 10 years later. So there's a good reason for that, but you know, I was kind of excited about him being there. Marty was always the quiet one around from what I could tell. Again, I didn't hang out with them. I don't know what they were like socially out of the bars at night or anything like that. But in the arena, uh, 
Marty was always kind of like the, uh, the introvert of the two. Um, Sean was louder, you know, joking around, laughing, you know, always the center of attention. Marty was just kind of there. I was hoping to see more out of Marty and I uh, was a little disappointed, but like I said, it was 10 years since I'd seen him and wasn't terribly surprised. So it was just a short stint. There was no, nothing bad happened. There was no issues. It was just, eh, not a lot going on. So that was that. Let's talk about Jake Roberts for a minute. He's doing commentary on this Monday night raw as mankind is, uh, taking over, uh, Duke, the dumpster Drose or as Drosy as Bruce says, but I like to piss him off anyway. Uh, Jake is supposedly building up a feud here with mankind, but he winds up taking a bit of a sabbatical and then coming back. Um, this does feel like, oh no, I hope this isn't the Jake that we've heard about that had problems before. And thankfully his story had a happy story. He's pulled the nose up and has had uh, quite a resurgence for himself over an AW and, uh, all that he's doing these days. But Jake Roberts is one of those great minds in wrestling that it feels like for whatever reason, missed out on the majority of the attitude era. And I'm curious, were there ever any serious discussions about, Hey, we're, we're doing a lot of booking by committee. Why don't we get a voice like Jake in here? Or had he made himself untouchable by that point? I, I think the consensus amongst the people that knew Jake best was that indeed he has had and now and, and, and has a really, really good, good mind for storytelling and characters. Uh, but he was too far gone mm. at that point. He, he was not in control. Everybody respected the hell out of him. And I think everybody would have loved to have had Jake on the team, especially in a creative capacity, but everybody, even the people closest to him, DDP for one, uh, acknowledged that he just wasn't in the right frame of mind to, to be involved, which is a real shame. I would have loved to work. You know, I see Jake, you know, whenever we go down to AEW once every couple months, make an appearance. I always, before I leave, I always remember, okay, I got to sit down and, you know, I'm going to buy Jake dinner, just go away from the hotel, get away from everybody else. And just, I wanted to, I just want to pick his brain. Right. I want to get inside that head of his and, and, and see, you know, just how deep he goes and hear his philosophy and hears and hear what he thinks in terms of, you know, what we're seeing today and how to hold on to some of the formulas and the presentation that has worked since the beginning of time, uh, television time at least, but yet still balance that with what the audience has for expectations when it comes to the athleticism. There's got to be a balance in there somewhere. Right now, for me, it's way too, the emphasis is way too much on, you know, freestyle gymnastic floor exercise and not enough on storytelling in the ring, the physicality in the ring. And I would love to hear how Jake would approach it if he was calling the shots. So uh, one of these days I'll get that opportunity, but haven't done so yet. So our show was late this week because I finally took a vacation. I know you didn't think that was possible, but I found a way to do it. But unfortunately, Eric and I had a scheduling conflict and I'm a little later than I'd like to be getting this episode out. But I got to tell you, I'm fully recharged. I got to spend a week relaxing, chilling out. Summer's here, man. I got my tan on. I'm ready to go. And of course, when I was packing my bag, there's one thing I packed first, and that's the Raycons. 
Whether it's for work or play, a lot of us are going to be on the move again this summer. So my advice to you is the same as it was to my wife. Pack your Raycons, baby. Whether you're, you know, doing actual work like you and I probably are right now as we're listening to this, or you're on vacation, baby. Come on. You're going to enjoy a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds. It can make all the difference whether you're listening to podcasts or your favorite song or your favorite morning show. You're going to get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of the other premium audio brands. Now, you've probably figured out I'm a hip-hop head. I like a little bass. Buddy, Raycon is all about it. Raycons look great. They feel even better. And they come in a range of cool colors with customizable gel tips included for a comfortable in-ear fit. And Raycons are built to go wherever you go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. So listen up. Raycons are offering 15% off all their products for our listeners. And here's what you've got to do to get it. Just go to buyraycon.com forward slash 83 weeks. There you'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. And it's such a good deal. You'll want to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. That's buyraycon.com slash 83 weeks. And I'm telling you, you're going to dig it. I know we do. The main event of Monday night raw is just eat up with old WCW guys. We've got gold dust, the former Dustin Rhodes from WCW and uh, Mark Marrow, the former Johnny P bad. Well, that's in- what Vince McMahon gets for stealing all of our talent. Not only that, I mean, when you come in and you raid a company and you try to put a company out of business by stealing all of their talent, you know, what do you expect? That's karma, baby karma. Well, you fired Goldust and you fired Steve Austin, who's on commentary. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He still stole them. The fact that they went went there to feed their families and get a check and improve their situation, that doesn't make a bit of difference. He stole them. Just like he did when he raided all the territories and collapsed all the territories from around the country. He didn't have the ability to create his own star. So what did he do? Vince McMahon went in. He collapsed the AWA. He collapsed every territory in the United States to build his platform, to build his company, because he didn't have the ability to create new talent. So he stole everybody else's. How's that feel? I love I've been living with that shit for 30 years. Have a sip of that coffee, big man. You earned it. I like it. I had me some Kratom, too, before I even got a hold of the coffee. Oh. So this is going to be a wild-ass show. Hold on. Strap in. It's going to be fun. Buckle up, boys and girls. Before we tell you to hit play, by the way, we're watching July 1st, 1996, that edition of Nitro over on Peacock. So if you haven't already, go find it on Peacock. July 1st, 1996. By the way, I know we all hate this. But it's season two, episode 25, uh, how Courtney season two, episode 25 real quick before we, uh, we move off of raw. Cause I didn't feel like watching that show this week, the main event again, gold dust versus Mark Marrow, Steve Austin on commentary. Steve Austin is fresh off of his win at the uh, King of the ring. And he's starting to get a little bit of momentum with the whole Austin three sixteen thing. He really sounds like a top guy here on commentary and he's, he's not in the main event, but he's doing commentary on the main event, which in a weird way is maybe even better because now you're not just seeing what he can do in the ring. By this time, WWE fans had already seen that that's been well-established. Now you're hearing what he's all about and adding context to his character. And you and I haven't spent a lot of time talking about that, but if you're good at it, Putting you in commentary on a match where you can deliver your message and your likeness 
and, and your swagger and your attitude for lack of a better word for an extended period of time, that's a very creative way to get your character over. Can we agree? Absolutely agree. I mean, if, if you have a talent that's good at it, that's the hard part. Yes. You know, it's, it's one thing to go out and cut a two or three minute, you know, promo in the ring. Uh, that's hard enough. I don't want to be dismissive of that. That is, you know, to be good at it and to be entertaining at it and to, and to be able to have those two or three minutes, whatever it is, and have that two or three minute, you know, opportunity elevate your character. You have to have a tremendous amount of talent. But to sit down at commentary for an extended period of time, it's a much different challenge um, and rare that somebody can actually sit down and allow you to know their character and to build upon that character without overexposing yourself. Right. And, and you've got to have a lot of depth. You've got to really know who you are as a character to be able to sit out there for six, eight, 10, 12, 15 minutes, or sometimes longer and have that opportunity actually benefit you and not hurt you in a little bit of a way, or at the very least, you know, kind of keep you in neutral, but Steve got a hold of that and made it work because he's Steve Austin was, is one of those rare talents that if you said, Steve, I need 30 minutes out of you here behind the mic, um, just let him go. He'll be just fine. He's He's got that much talent and understands the business and the psychology and obviously his own character by this point to be able to make that 30 minutes work for him, where a lot of guys would be really interesting and fun to listen to for about a minute and a half or two minutes because that's usually how long they get, right. maybe three minutes. But after that three-minute mark, they kind of run out of gas. And they, they, they lose it. So yeah, Steve did a phenomenal job and that is a great tool. If you have the talent that can take advantage of it. So I I just wanted to mention what's happening on the other channel, because essentially what you're going to be doing here on nitro is taking two former WWF top guys and using them in a big time way on your program. Meanwhile, they're essentially taking Boy, this is a dismissive term and I don't mean it that way. You're cast offs. You let two of these guys go. Uh, the other guy you, you wouldn't pay for, uh, talking about Mark Merrow. So these are former WCW quote unquote, middle of the card guys. And now they're in the main event position here on WWE. And at the time, everyone considered Monday night raw, sort of the most valuable space in wrestling, but that is changing. That attitude is changing. And a lot of it is because wait a minute, the former WWF top guys are now here. Well, who's on the other channel. And even in an era where they're pushing the new generation and you know, you don't want to, you don't want to watch the huckster. You don't want to watch the nacho man. That's old. And they're trying to push and feature the ultimate warrior. It is an interesting time in the business where the, I feel like the WWF has a bit of an identity crisis. Would you agree with that? Sure. They do. Sure. They do at this point. You know, they're watching, and and by this point, we're so early in the NWO, it hadn't even, we didn't even, we haven't even called it the NWO by July 1st of 1996, but the shift in momentum, I think the shift to that reality-based storyline that we had with with the NWO, even starting out, the way we saw Scott Hall come down through the crowd, the promo he cut, um, Kevin 
the way he made his appearance in, there was so much momentum and controversy, you know, hence the book controversy creates cash and the reference to it that we make all the time, but it was working. And I think WWE, they were still stuck in that teen preteen demo mentality, but yet saw that the business was changing and hadn't quite embraced it yet. Yeah. And it would be a while. It would be another year really before WWE embraced that attitude era, you know, in, in a big way um, style of presentation, it would take them a long time. So they were kind of stuck in that, you know, no man's land, you know, they weren't quite fish and they weren't quite foul and they weren't quite sure what they should be. Let's call it like it is. We're saying WWE, but we really mean Vince. Vince hadn't changed his opinion on the business. He hadn't realized that the business was changing yet. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that? Oh, no, absolutely. Vince is a, I've said this to you before. Vince reminds me in many ways of Vern Gagne. Yeah. And, you know, in the sense, let me be specific, in the sense that they had a, Vern had a very, just entrenched view that wasn't, no one was going to change his mind of what professional wrestling should be, what the product should look like and how it should be presented Uh, more, more when it comes to storylines and characters than production technique. But, and I think Vince was very much the same at this point in time. And he still is, there's no question about it. You know, I'm sure Bruce, not I'm sure, undoubtedly Bruce Pritchard at some point in his life will be able to share stories with you about trying to change Vince's minds of mind about things. If he hasn't already, yeah. you know, that's uh, that's, that's an insurmountable task sometimes. So Vincent, Vince is very, very stubborn and it takes a tremendous amount of pressure and evidence to convince him to do something other than what he's convinced he should do. So yeah, he's a very stubborn dude. Stop, Conrad. Time to talk about my dog, Nikki. Anybody that's been listening to 83 Weeks for any amount of time knows how much I love my dog, Nikki. Nikki's a part of our family. I dare say she's a very important part of our family. And if you ever saw her hanging around with us, you'd know what I mean. Listen, because she's such a big part of our family, her health and nutrition is just as important to me as anybody else in my family. And a lot of times people forget that Dogs need healthy food too. And did you know that up to 80% of the immune system in a dog is influenced by the gut or supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight allergies and all kinds of other stuff. Solid Gold is passionate and that's why I love this product. They are passionate about gut health in a healthy digestive system and how it positively impacts the immune system and the overall wellness of their pets. Solid Gold was the first holistic pet food company in America. Get this, not when it first started to get cool, not when everybody jumped on the bandwagon. No, way back in 1974, Conrad, I'm not even sure that you were a thought in your mommy and daddy's mind back then. Sissy McGill, she was a trailblazer. She was a visionary. And she was the pioneer who disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food way the hell before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. I love that. She looked at the situation, she looked at the data and said why and realized 
that so much of it has to do with digestive health and what dogs eat. Well, she came up with her first recipe, Flocken. Believe it or not, I still remember a little German from high school. It means dog flakes in German. And now dog flakes have provided high quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Solid Gold's nutritional platform was inspired by their founding belief that high quality food is the best way to impact our dog's minds, body, spirit. Same thing with cats, it's so important. If you eat clean, you live clean. If you eat better, you feel better. It's true for dogs too, people and cats. For over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any dog or any cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food supplements like seal meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth for dogs. That's a whole new thing. Google the internet, ask about bone broth and all of the health benefits it provides to humans and for pets. Solid Gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods, balanced with living probiotics and fuel with omega-3 and six fatty acids, supporting both gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out. Right now, to save 30% on select Solid Gold products, go to solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks one more time for your pets that's solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks to save 30 percent on select solid gold products remember solidgoldpet.com slash 83 weeks if you love your pets like i do and i know you do look out for their health the same way you look out for your own feed them things that will help their immune systems and allow them to be healthier happier better companions for the long run. Well, we're, uh, we're stubborn and we're determined to get you to watch nitro with us here on July 1st, 1996. Eric, I've got it pulled up on my end. Are you ready on your end? I am ready. Whoop. Where'd it go? There we go. There we go. I am ready to hit play. So here's the deal. I'm going to give us a countdown. I'm going to start backwards from three. And then after I say one, I'm going to say play. And when I say play, you press play, Eric, you ready? I am ready. My friend. All right, here we go. It's July 1st, 1996, season two, episode 25 of WCW Monday Nitro in three, two, one play. Now I must be hearing that on your end, right? I get you in the mood for wrestling or what, Eric, you did this. It really does. You know, I don't know if it's just because it's nostalgic for me and such a big, cool part of my life, but it's so that music was, I mean, it just made, you know, how when you're driving down a road and you listen to your radio and you hear a song that just makes you want to go out and conquer something. That's what this, that's what this music reminds me of. for hour one of WCW Monday Nitro and we are coming to you live as the countdown is on to WCW's Bash at the Beach where ladies and gentlemen all the talk of the wrestling world has been centered on one event and that is of course Daytona Beach 
and the Ocean Center, the hostile takeover. We are not too far away from that big six-man tag well, team you know, event. Thanks to modern technology via satellite communication, the world hey, is hey. becoming a small wait, place. Wait, wait, there wait, wait, will wait, be a hey. new world. What? 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 I'm talking here. All the security in this building. What are you talking? Do you see a ring on my finger, Shivani? No, I don't see a ring on you your finger. You know why? Why? Because the Lord of the Rings ring has been stolen. I want this entire place closed. I want the whole building secured, and I want everyone strip searched. Well, I'm sorry, and I apologize, but we don't have your ring, and we've got a show to do here. Hey, the bottom line is, Legend, you know this, they're jealous. Everyone's jealous. They know they can't beat me well, for the ring. Well, when they can't beat you, they're going to take so the gonna ring. they're going to steal it. I'm getting in the bucket. You got it, Giovanni? You know who's got it? Do you no, know who's got it? No, I don't know who has it. For crying out loud, would you let us do our television program? Please get him out of here. Get him out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, we ended the program in a wild fashion. Let's take a look at the footage was random. from last week when the world tag team title switched. It was not cool is what it is. It's sort of lame. Like it, it was horrible. It check was this horrible. out from last it, week. You know, the, that we oh, talked we about go. being in the arena last week. Well, you know, take a look at the game of poker. When you play poker and you got seven card stud, you got an idea of what you're going up against. When you play no peak, you don't have a clue. These two guys to me are being very cowardly by not exposing their hand. Here they come. I want to know who the third man is, and I want to know where the third man is. In the midst of all that melee last week, Harlem Heat became the World Tag Team Champions. We have new World Tag Team And there you hear the announcement, new World Tag Team Champions. It was chaos in the ring last week, and we do understand. This week there is a rumor that these two gentlemen are here once again here on WCW Monday Nitro. We can only wonder, Larry, will their third man be with them here tonight? Well, that's the question. You know, a lot of rumors flying back and forth. No one seems to know exactly what's going on. We will find out. And like I said before, there will be a new world order this Sunday in professional wrestling. You can see heightened security is here. And ladies and gentlemen. All right. That's what I wanted you to hear. I want to take a time out. We've got the stage set. Let's recap where we are. We're on the go home edition of Monday nitro right before bash at the beach where Hulk Hogan's going to turn the prior nitro ended with Harlem heat in a melee becoming tag team champions. But the really interesting thing is not just Scott Hall coming down through the crowd, but Kevin Nash as well. And they're carrying bats. They're outnumbered by like 10 to one WCW superstars versus these two quote unquote outsiders. And they have bats, but still it's 10 on two. And then all of a sudden a half a dozen cops with guns slot into the ring. So now two WWF guys, quote unquote, have held off basically the entire locker room and the local police with baseball bats. That is worth discussing. But the biggest thing that I wanted you to hear there, Eric, right there in that promo and that tease of what's coming this Sunday. And Lord bless him. I think Tony Schiavone is at his best right here with his excitement. Uh, I mean, he is just, I'm so glad he's back in wrestling. He dressed like shit right there. I don't know if you saw, but he's got a green polo on and a gray double breasted blazer. It's like, he just walked through a thrift store and just whatever touched him. He put on honest to God, Tony Schiavone is the only person, uh, only on camera talent in the, in the professional wrestling industry that dresses as bad as I do and almost as bad as Bruce Pritchard. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, we're, we're the bad, 
bad news bears when it comes. None to of us it. have any fashion sense. None of us. The three of us combined couldn't get dressed up for a dinner party at the local American Legion. Anyway, what I wanted to get to is Larry Zabisco just called this group, these two guys. He says there will be a new world order in professional wrestling this Sunday. I want to stop right there. This is the first time in well over three years of doing this podcast where I am legitimately and pleasantly surprised at something. I had not heard that until right now, until this show. I've heard people make reference to, yeah, but Larry Zabisco mentioned New World Order before the Bash at the Beach. And I thought, well, maybe it's just one of those, you know, stories that float around in wrestling because I didn't remember hearing it. Clearly, I did. Yeah. Undoubtedly, I heard it. Consciously, I don't, I didn't say, oh, that's a good idea. We're going to use that. But right here, right now, I want to clarify and correct, by the way, 25 years of unintentional misinformation on my part, because my recollection of the first time I ever heard the reference to new world order was when it spontaneously, and I mean, really spontaneously, like in the middle of a conversation that I didn't even know I was going to be having with Hulk Hogan, trying to get him ready for the big promo, the, the, the reference came out of my mouth, New World Order, professional wrestling. I didn't know where it came from. It just, you know, it, it evidently made its way into my subconscious after having heard Larry use it first. I'm giving credit where credit is due here because I am not a credit pig. I have a saying, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. I always <laughs> share credit where credit is due. And don't try to take it all for myself, unlike others that I know in this industry. But clearly, Larry Zabisco deserves all of the credit for coming up with the term New World Order. And I'm honest to goodness, I am really pleasantly surprised to hear that. It's just, it's fun. And I, you know, for years, Larry hasn't gotten the credit that Larry deserves and should get after hearing that. That's amazing. I'd never heard that before. I never went back and watched this show before we, I, I produced it, you know, 25 years ago. And that was the last I thought about it. Yeah. Move on seen segments from it. Clearly clips from it clearly, but I have never seen that part of this show. And I am so excited to discover something new. I mean, it's not new, but it, it's, it's not new, new to me. you. It's new to me. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. How cool is this shit? We're, we're correcting history right here on this show, or at least I'm acknowledging it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, let's just, let's call it like it is. Larry Zbysko named the NWO. Neil Pruitt helped design the logo and was the voice of the following announcement has been paid for. So there's been some, some fun stuff here, man, that we've discovered and giving credit where credit's due. And, and by the way, we're, we're talking over a hell of a match right now. My, my childhood favorite tag team of all time, the Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner duo are challenging for the world tag team titles, the current and reigning champions. And he's in there right now with your old pal, Stevie Ray, one half of Harlem heat. 
when you think about iconic WCW tag teams, this is probably it for me. These two, I mean, the most decorated wrestler in WCW history is Booker T. I think, uh, the Harlem heat held those titles more than anybody, but the Steiner brothers, even going back, I don't know, five years from where we are big time baby faces in WCW. In your opinion, these are the two most prolific tag teams in WCW history. Oh, I, I undoubtedly, undoubtedly, you know, they were, they were at the top of the t- tag team, you know, division and were high profile characters in WCW for a long, long time. And when I first came into WCW in 1991 or whenever it was, <clears throat> they were the team that they were the, they were the people that made that some of the strongest impressions on me. And looking back at some of their matches from the early and mid nineties, um, they were so far ahead of their time, and especially Scotty with, with a lot of his offense and some of the amazing things that he did, especially for someone as big as he was. Yeah. He was so athletic and they were so much fun to watch. And I love that, you know, they were kind of, uh, they were very similar in some respects, but very different in others. You know, I love the pairing of their characters. Scotty was always really intense and serious and never cracked a smile. And you always got the sense watching Rick Steiner that, man, he's just having a time of his life. Right. You know, whether he's getting his ass kicked or kicking somebody else's, it's just nothing but fun for him. It's the way it should be. Uh, and it was just a great, you know, combination of characters and athletic ability that made them so fun to watch. We also should mention the referee for this match is Nick Patrick and making his way down to ringside and, and walking around the ring is uh, Colonel Robert Parker. And he's not wearing his usual white getup. He's got on a similar suit, but a different color. I think that's Brown. I'm colorblind, but still you've got uh, Colonel Robert Parker here. What was the thinking at the time of, Hey, let's put him with the Harlem heat. Oh gosh. Conrad, I can't really recall whatever the thinking was, it was not great thinking because, and I love Colonel Parker. I mean, he could cut a promo, talk about a guy that can improv and entertain the hell out of you in the process and be right on the money, probably 99 times out of a hundred. I mean, when we talk about great Mike skills, you know, and you think about Paul Heyman and Steve Austin and some of the greats, um, Parker's name somehow gets left out of the conversation. And maybe it's because he was never in that real high profile position for a very long time. But Colonel Robert Parker was as good on the mic as anybody we've ever worked with, or I've ever worked with. Um, but Harlem, he didn't need it. Right. That's the odd thing to me is why would you put Parker with two guys who clearly don't need a manager? It may have been a situation where we weren't quite what we didn't know quite what to do with Parker. We wanted to keep him on a roster. We wanted to keep him visible. You know, it's not just about, well, we're paying him. So let's use him on TV. That wasn't the mentality. Um, it was more about, mm, we're not quite sure what we need to do with him. And I'm guessing here, Conrad, I don't know this was the case, but I'm, I'm probably right. Um, my guess was, hey, Parker's valuable. We're not quite sure where he's going to transition to, but in the meantime, let's keep him with heat so we can keep him on TV. I don't hate that explanation, man. Look at the gear here. You've got some pretty incredible looking Harlem heat year and boy, the Steiners are still knee deep in their early nineties. Hey, we're going to have some neon stuff. Uh, <laughs> but I think the, uh, the most interesting thing of, of we're talking about appearances. 
Scott Steiner's hair. It's just legendary here. Yeah. He didn't want to give up that. Oh, that was beautiful. He didn't want to give up that mullet. And, and I think when it came to, you know, the attire for the Steiner brothers, they took all of their fashion cues from Tony Schiavone. Mm. They were both kind of locked in the, you know, early eighties disco era kind of, you know, gimmick. So, um, I, I blame it on Schiavone. You should. Fault. you should definitely, you should top rope bulldog there from Rick Steiner on Booker T referee. Nick Patrick is distracted. Scott Steiner is going to step in and put uh, Booker T up on his shoulders. Rick Steiner. It looks like he's setting up the top rope bulldog. Colonel Robert Parker looks a little slow to make the, uh, save, but still he does gives a good wackadoo to Rick Steiner. That's an, see, that's another example of why I don't like anything off the top rope like that. You know, cause Rick Steiner would have seen him coming from a mile and just, eh, all that stuff looks so corny to me, yeah. but the match itself was awesome. And great performers, great execution. Oh, how about Booker T just helping himself to some water from the commentary table? It's hilarious. <laughs> of course he did. He took that from uh, Annette Yoder. Annette was the uh, blonde you saw sitting at the table. She was really invaluable to the team in many respects. She was like the floor director and worked her, worked her butt off. She's really talented young lady. Who was Wendy turnbuckle? We hear Tony Schiavone say that name. Wendy turnbuckle. I've never heard that one before. Here's mean Jean. Must have been something Tony had going on on the side. Mean Jean sitting with the horseman ringside. This is the era where, um, Ric Flair is, is trying to spend macho man's money. So he's having a little plated dinner here ringside and uh, mean gene i think is going to be talking to deborah horseman in a gigantic eight-man tag i want to just take a quick second and go back to recently on nitro when a couple of these gentlemen attacked joe gomez and his partner at the time the renegade they took him apart the match never even got off the ground because all of this took place back in the locker room area now tonight your husband is going to be in action with the, with the, the horsemen. Then the Rock and Roll Express are also going to be part of it. And Deborah, right now, what's your sense of all of the excitement that's going on with the horsemen and yourself? I don't know. You know, what can I say? I think my husband is one of the best athletes I've ever played. He played 15 years of NFL. And I'm a bit high maintenance. I hate to admit to that, but I think he has a possibility to make more money here than he ever did in the NFL. All right, Deborah. Thank you. I, I don't know if she was at the lake this weekend, but Elizabeth, you seem to be having a, a good time at somebody else's expense here at World Championship Wrestling. I'm having a wonderful time, and don't worry, girls. There's plenty of money. We all know where that came from, and so oh, does he. Please, yes, boy, you are rubbing it in, woman. What woman? Yes, woman. Woman, you are. You know, Elizabeth, we need to tap that source of yours. We need that full-time driver. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sure that can be arranged, and yes, there is a lot of money. Arn Anderson tonight, the Rock and Roll Express, Joe Gomez, and the Renegade going up against the four of you. No, Gene Okerlund, what you don't see sitting before you is the Supreme Court. But what we do do is run the professional wrestling world. Tonight, at full strength, for the first time since the middle part of the 80s, the four horsemen come together. I told you when we got the full strength, heads were going to roll. Tonight, there will be a visual aid. Chris Benoit. You're looking at the man, the crippler, silent 
but violent. All right, let me swing over to the end. Steve McMichael, you seem to be absolutely radiating tonight. You're happy to be a horseman. They're all together. Oh, my friend, everybody says, how could you do it, Ric Flair? Well, let me tell you, brother, I played for CDR in Chicago. And just like Deborah said, my friend, money makes the monkey dance. All right, uh, I don't know if I want to talk about the monkey or the grinder, but Ric Flair, I should caution you. The macho man, Randy Savage, is in the building tonight, and he is being restrained right now before his match. Macho, what you going to do, brother? Because of the infamous words of Double A, what's causing all this? Thank you very much, gentlemen. Later on tonight on Nitro, the four horsemen in an eight-man tag with the Rock and Roll Express, Joe Gomez, and the Renegade. Stay tuned. We're on TNT Totally Live from the USR Arena in the nation's capital. More coming up. You know, I don't know what the fuck that was, but Ric Flair sure was having fun, wasn't he? It, it, that's Sometimes that's the funny thing about watching Rick is it, he has cut promos that were so nonsensical. That I mean, I mean, it's just like word soup just all comes together, but he has so much fun doing it and he does it with such passion. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it creates the energy and it creates the vibe. That was a, a pretty good example of that. We're talking Here's over favorite, the, uh, now we're watching your favorite, favorite vignette. Coming to WCW. So it says coming. WCW July 96, but it feels like we've got like three months of vignettes here. What was the holdup on rolling this character out? You know, you and I have talked a little bit before about how, you know, if this was a few years earlier, this thing would have been over like Rover, but now in this era of realism, I mean, we're, you're slapping us in the face with real stuff here with the NWOs. We see disco Inferno making his way to the ring here. Uh, what was the, um, there's lots of speculation. Oh, they were worried about the entrance. They wanted it to snow inside the building. They wanted the lasers. So they weren't quite done with the gear and the ring attire. Oh, there was some question about his in ring work. Was it uh, quote unquote martial arts enough? Uh, in hindsight, do you think you should have fast tracked glacier or did you do the right thing by holding him back? Well, I'm not sure <clears throat> what the circumstances were in terms of the delay. I mean, he did have a complex, uh, entrance, the laser lights that that we use for his entrance was something that needed to be designed. It wasn't like they could just go to Walmart and pick up a lighting kit and yeah. put it on TV. So there were a lot of moving parts to that entrance and to this character. I, I, I'd be lying to you if I could, if I told you, I could remember which one of those elements were slowing us down. I doubt it was his ring attire. It doesn't really make much sense. That's something you could turn around overnight if you had to. Um, I'm guessing it was the lighting and some of the special effects that we wanted to use. I can tell you for certain it was not whether or not <clears throat> his martial arts skills were, you know, up to par or not. That was not the issue. There was, I don't think there was any issue of it being out of balance, meaning too much martial arts and not enough wrestling or vice versa. I would venture to say it was a production issue and timing with regard to the lighting and the set and so forth. So we've got Disco Inferno uh, in the ring now, and he's going to be taking on Kurosawa, who was the uh, retired, now retired Nakanishi. And we're going to have an interesting situation here in the match, but we'll wait for it. I do want to uh, circle back to a couple of different things because we glossed over it. 
the DDP thing to start the show, that whole thing just reeks of WCW pre NWO. Would you agree with that? Truly, truly. We know when I made a reference earlier to Vince McMahon kind of still being in that, not fish and not foul, um, kind of position. Um, WCW was too. Yeah. You know, we were, we hadn't found that balance yet. You know, I've referred to it many times about wrestling needing to, to be a buffet and you need a little bit of everything. Uh, we were still a little heavy on nineties wrestling, uh, in, in, in mid 1996, we hadn't made that real transition to a more reality-based television show. Sure. There was some reality stuff that we were doing like right. the NWO, obviously, but hadn't really found that balance yet. And yeah, DDP in particular <clears throat> was really stuck in late eighties, early nineties kind of presentation mode. You know, I sort of wanted to poke fun a little bit. Uh, at the, um, the raw main event, because we know raw main events are going to become big time. And here in this particular era, it was gold dust versus Mark Marrow. But then on the other channel, the main event is the horseman, which include Mongo taking on the rock and roll express, Joe Gomez and the renegade. We're not quite yet to the, uh, the peak of Monday nitro. No, we're not. No, we're not. And it, you know, we got to the point and I think it was because of the competitive head to head, real competitive nature of WCW and WWE, uh, where we both companies started putting matches that typically you would only see on pay-per-view on television, right? Because it was all about winning those ratings wars at that time. So that, that was one of the benefits and who benefited from that more than the audience who got to see things on television every week that, you know, up until this point, they would only see once a quarter. If that, by the way, too, as we see, uh, Tisco really doubling down on the comedy here, a criminally underrated television wrestler, um, Landover, Michigan or Landover, Maryland, uh, right up the street from, uh, Baltimore. Only 4,000 paid though, 7,000 folks here. Uh, but almost about half of it is paper, uh, 4,000 paying fans. This is going to become a, a hotbed for WCW where you guys, you know, I mean, obviously it's not the height of the NWO yet and the height of Monday nitro, but are you disappointed with 4,000 paid or is it more about, let's make sure the TV show looks good. 7,000. We can manipulate to look good on TV. We're fine. Yeah, I was not, I, no, I, I was not disappointed in the television revenue. The only thing I thought about when it came to producing Nitro is that we had a hot live crowd and that it looked good on camera. Yeah. What the ticket sales were. And I know, you know, people say, oh my God, no wonder WCW went out of business. Fuck off. The only thing that I was really concerned about was how our show looked and felt because I knew that if we could be consistent and every week produce shows that look great, that entertain the audience and felt like they had a ton of energy, just like the camera shot we're watching right now with the disco balls dropping down. I knew if it looked good <clears throat> in the audience and it looked like a party, that was my big thing. You know, I wanted Nitro to feel like a party you never wanted to miss. And I could care less what the ticket sales were that night. 
obviously over the course of the year, it mattered, but all I cared about is how it looked. Dude, and what by the, the f- way, didn't, weren't we just in Baltimore, um, a couple of weeks previous to this? Yeah. You were there for a pay-per-view. Yeah. So, uh, if, if anybody did feel bad or was disappointed in the ticket sales, uh, you know, all they had to do is remind themselves that we were just down the road a couple of weeks earlier with a big pay-per-view that turned out to be pretty hot. So, um, no, I wasn't concerned about it at all. So in case you missed it, Nakanishi is in a losing effort here. I'm sorry. Kurosawa, as he's known here is in a losing effort here because an Elvis impersonator came down the aisle and distracted him. And as this is happening, the disco ball that's there for disco's entrance lowers down and disco swung it back and then swung it into him almost like a wrecking ball. It tapped him in the back and it he looked horrible. It's the stupidest fucking finish ever. Horrible. Damn you, Kevin Sullivan. I love you for fading the heat. <laughs> I mean, the, the deal is if he'd have whacked the motherfucker over the head. Okay. But what is the deal with Kevin Sullivan? Here's a guy who is known legendary for being able to book heat finishes. He knew how to book a heel finish. He knew how to get heat with finishes. He was legendary. Dusty Rhodes told me all about it. He said, like, baby, if you want to get somebody in here that really understands how to get some heat with his finishes, you got to bring in the devil himself, Kevin Sullivan. I said, well, Dream, I believe anything you tell me. So let's give Kevin Sullivan a call. And fast forward to July 1st, 1996, he's beating a badass Japanese machine with a fucking disco ball. Kevin, give me a shot. We need to talk. I mean, that is some Gaga. And by the way, I like the, uh, the police lined up here at the entrance. This is the second time we've got a really nice shot of them, but DDP is coming to the ring, accosting everyone. We even see him at the top of the ramp. Uh, checking the pockets for someone backstage. He's obsessed with the ring. So even though this is silly creative and I don't like it and no one in the ring and no one in the uh, audience cares, DDP's committed to the bit. If there's nothing, if there's anything we can compliment him on, he is a committed SOB. Can we agree? Oh, that he is in, in every facet of his life. He's, he's got one speed, you know, and he never slows down. If he's got his eye on something, whether he, you know, is excited about it or not. If he knows that's his goal, there's hacks on Jim Duggan. He, he is committed in every way, personally and professionally. Don't you worry about hacks on Jim Duggan stealing your ring. I don't wear no earrings. I don't wear no necklaces. I don't wear no rings. What hacks on Jim Duggan does is carry a two by four and a roll of tape. So Paige, if you want your ring, look somewhere else. Tough guy. He is welcome back to 1987 here on Monday Nitro. You know what though? I got to tell you, and this is one of the fun things. And we're watching uh, Diamond Dallas Page and Scotty Riggs here in, in the ring. And this should be a technically a good match. Neither one of these characters were really over uh, to any real degree at this point. Obviously, DDP was on his way. Riggs was kind of stuck in the middle. He never really got a lot of the big opportunities to get himself over, but he never really had the mic skills to make it work either. Had he had those opportunities, not a criticism, just 
it is what it is. But Scotty Riggs was an excellent, excellent performer in the ring. Uh, great technician. And a handsome but, dude. You know, like talk- to me, it's like, why do you not, I didn't mean to cut you off, but he could have been like the new Z man, right? The new, you know, pretty boy. Oh, all the girls love him. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. He could have been, if he could cut a great promo, didn't matter what you look like. If you can't talk hypothetically, can't character what's, over. what's your favorite Z man promo? Uh, Z man never really got over either. I mean, he, was, <laughs> he, he was pushed a lot. Yeah. You know, everybody tried to, as you just pointed out, I'm not picking on you, Conrad, but, oh man, he looks great. He's good looking dude. He's got a great physique. His work was marginal, but man, he's good looking guy. That should work, but he couldn't, he couldn't carry it on the mic. You've got to have the complete package. And I think Scotty Riggs, and I'm not being critical of Scotty here. Not everybody has all of the skill sets. That's why some people go on to become really, really big stars. And some people have successful careers. There's a difference. Scotty Riggs had a successful career in many respects, but he didn't have that gift um, that allowed him to grab a hold of a mic and take what was a pretty good package and turn it into and turn it into something special because he could get the audience to relate to him and connect to him in a in a, in a, in a much different way. He didn't have it. Here's my just, again, not a not a criticism. It just is what it is. Two things. First, uh, shout out to Scotty, who I know listens to the show. So I was trying to put him over, but I appreciate you holding me accountable. But now let's talk about this. I don't remember seeing a Scotty Riggs promo. I'm sure that happened, uh, but it doesn't feel like he got opportunities. And I don't know how someone gets better at something if they're never, it's like when you are fresh out of college and you go to apply for jobs and they say, well, you got to have experience. Why the fuck do you get experience? If nobody gives you the opportunity, you so, t- because here's what you do. You recognize first off, just like you do, or I do every single day, we, we, we decide what we need to work on personally Yes, to, to get better either as a human being or professionally. What do I need to work on? Where's my weak spot? What, what, what do I need to fix? Uh, and then focus on that and overcome it and get good at it. You do that on your own. You know, this is not, you know, professional wrestling isn't like uh, group therapy, you know, sure, you can get some help. Sure, there'll be people that will, what you know, point things out to you and things like that. But you've got to take it upon yourself to do that. And the question you asked was, well, how do you get good if you don't do it? You practice just like everything else. You stand in front of a mirror and you cut promos. You study other people. God forbid, maybe you even, you know, work with an acting coach or somebody who teaches improv to teach you how to train your mind to react to things as opposed to memorizing what it is you want to say and getting your shit in much like we see in matches today, you know, people that approach wrestling promos, the same way they approach a match, they sit down, they write everything out. They want to get all the cutesy shit, all the stuff they think that'll get them over and they're going to get it in no matter what happens around them. Somebody in the front row could set themselves on fire and they're going to stick to the promo that they have because they memorized it and they want to get their shit in. It's the same thing. And to get good at it, you have to figure out how to get good at it. And to figure out how to get good at it, the first thing you have to do is recognize that you don't have that skill set. Don't wait along for somebody to go, hey, wrestler, come here in the locker room. You kind of you don't really have what it takes on the mic. So I'm going to spend the next three weeks of my life training you. It doesn't work that way. Oh. Oh, I'm not saying Scotty didn't care or didn't try, or others didn't. I'm not picking on Scotty Riggs here. 
quite the opposite. He was great in the ring. He had a lot of skill sets. He just didn't have the ability to speak or, 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 or to get over on the mic. Um, but man, you just got to figure it out for yourself. I know what my weaknesses are. I have a list of shit that I have to work on today because <laughs> I know I'm not a detail oriented person. I tend to procrastinate. I tend to convince myself that I'll go back and I'll take care of this a little bit later on this afternoon because I'd rather do that. Well, guess what? All I'm doing is grabbing a shovel and deep, digging my hole even deeper for the day. There's a better way to do it. I recognize it. So I'm working on that. I actually watch videos about shit like this to try to you know improve myself. So same thing with cutting a wrestling promo. If you're out there, if you're a wrestler and you're listening to this, Look for ways to get better at promos because really only a small percentage of the people that you're out there competing for television time with on the same roster that you are, a small, small percentage of them have that gift. And most of them are people that have been around the business for quite a long time. The exception to that is MJF, by the way, who is freaking phenomenal. But study, learn, take classes, find a coach. There's a lot of ways you can get better at it. Don't wait for somebody to come up and slip you a magic pill. And all of a sudden you're going to grab a microphone and be Jake, the snake Roberts ain't going to happen. Wow. Coffee. I love it. But if you're Bischoff's neighbor, you'll get the battle ball ring and you'll get a diamond cutter and you'll get over. Hell yeah. There it is. The diamond cutter. I don't know if you were paying attention to the finish there, but there was a pretty noticeable section of the audience that pop for the finish. It does feel like even if his character, his persona, his gimmick, blah, blah, blah is not over yet. This is a move that people are starting to get behind. You want to, you want to hear another, um, truth. Yes. When page first decided he wanted to work on that diamond cutter. And I think he went to Jake Roberts and got some help and, you know, got Jake's blessing and all that. I went, man, I don't get it. I don't see it. I mean, I, I saw it. It was a nice finish. It was a good finish. I appreciated it for what it was, but I didn't have the vision that DDP had for it. I didn't see it as being as big a deal as Paige thought it was going to be. I just didn't see it. And clearly I was wrong. He's uh, at the top of the ramp now or the bottom of the ramp. Uh, end of the aisle there talking to uh, main gene coming up next. We've got Greg, the hammer Valentine who's going to be making his WCW return after, I don't know, like several years, uh, and it's to lose to, uh, the macho man, Randy Savage. So we're going to get to see Savage here in a minute, but on common town boys on commentary, just kind of fun. Tony, are we going to see on commentary? Tony is going to speculate on commentary that Greg Valentine could be the third man. <laughs> He's right up there with Dave Meltzer. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Can you imagine? Isn't it funny, Conrad? That's something that we haven't really talked about enough uh, in the context of you know why the NWO worked and how it worked and all that. Um, I, I think one of the major elements was the. Who's the third man? Mm. I know that sounds obvious, right? But one of the things that I learned, and you've heard me reference before the article that I read while I was in Orlando about this time, and well, prior to this, uh, when we were filming at Disney, <clears throat> and I read a newspaper article uh, 
interview with Dick Ebersol, uh, who was producing uh, the Olympics for NBC that year. And Dick Ebersol talked about the elements that he was going to focus on to help make the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, more entertaining for the average audience, right? And I stole some of that. That's why I came up with the, you know, Sarsa theory. Um, and anticipation was the one that really stood out to me the most. Like they're all important elements, but <clears throat> excuse me, the element of anticipation, in my opinion, was the strongest of the of them all. And that's where the who where the who's the third man kind of came from. That's why it happened. It was a result of that newspaper interview that I read with Dick Ebersol or by Dick Ebersol. And I learned that the more you could, the end result of what I learned was the more that you could craft something creatively that caused the audience to ask questions, as opposed to making statements, the better off you were. And I carried that over to the announce team as well, color and play by play, you know, because when I would reflect back at wrestling up until that point and the changes that I felt we needed to make in order to kind of change our trajectory was everything that, you know, wrestlers often say is a declarative statement. I'm going to kick your ass. That's a declarative statement as opposed to, you know, when this pay-per-view comes, Am I really going to kick your ass? Am I really going to be able to do that? Am I really going to show up? Whatever the question is, when you when you can craft your creative, and that was a horrible way of trying to make an example, but when you can craft your creative that solicits a question from your audience as opposed to a declarative statement, you're winning. And who's the third man, I think, was just as important in that overall formula of getting the NW over is anything else. I think it was critical to it. Um, so there you go. And I tried to stick with that throughout, you know, if you look at some of the things that I've done, even after WCW and TNA and all that, you know, with the uh, aces and eight storyline, it was all about creating questions and getting the audience to speculate because by getting the audience to speculate, you're creating buzz but you got to give them something to buzz about. And the best thing to get your audience to buzz about are questions and, and speculation. So whew, man, this coffee is just, it's, it's working overtime today. And today's episode awesome. is proudly sponsored by Kratom. Um, I, I wanted to ask a couple of different things here as we're seeing uh, Greg, the hammer Valentine wrestle the macho man, number one, and hear me out before you just laugh. Was Greg Valentine ever seriously considered for the NWO? And why not? I mean, I know we sort of laughed at the idea that he would be the third man. And, and I don't mean to do that in a disparaging way. I'm just saying you found room for big Bubba. You found room for fake sting. You found room for Virgil. You found room for VK wall street. Why not Greg, the hammer Valentine once upon a time, I'm not saying in this current iteration, but once upon a time, he was a badass ass kicking heel. And I feel like with the right creative, he could have been that again. He's very believable. Right. And I don't know. I'm interested in your sort of selection process. Okay. This guy can make, can be the NWO, but not that guy. It's a really, <clears throat> it's a fair question and a good one, you know, and 
again, I think it, it forces me to kind of take off, take off my producer hat and kind of forget about everything that we did do and think about what if we would have used Greg. First of all, let me answer why it didn't happen. I think, and, and I'm friends with Greg. Um, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, on the phone. I don't talk to many people on the phone. Um, Greg was the kind of talent, kind of person, kind of man that would show up so quietly on time, do what he was asked to do. He was like a, he was, he was the best. I don't want to call him an employee because he wasn't. He's a model example. student. Yeah. He was a model employee. Yes. Just could not have been an easier guy to work with. Sometimes those guys get looked over yeah, because they show up quietly. They go to the locker room. <clears throat> they mind their own business. They don't come out to the, you know, to the bar after the show with everybody else to watch the show. And that's, that was Greg. Um, so I'm guessing that's, I'm, I'm not using that as an excuse, but Greg was not a guy that you would go, Hmm, what if we use Greg in that role? Because he was just so quiet. <clears throat> Number one. Number two, I agree with you with the right creative. He could have been that could have been that enforcer. No, no offense to Arn Anderson. He could have been the muscle. He could have been that guy that came in. Now he's, you know, clearly his, his in-ring, you know, skills were, you know, not what they were 10 years previous or 15 years previous, but he was still believable. And he had that look. I mean, he'd scare you to death looking at you, you know, if, if he turned on the intensity. So he, he could have, it, it could have worked. But I think the reason why it never occurred to anybody is really, I think Greg was very happy and very comfortable showing up, doing his job, going home without incident. I don't think, I don't think Greg wanted the attention of the heat, to be honest with you. How about it's like the, Larry Zabisco said to me when I first showed up in WCW, my very first day, Anderson, South Carolina, TV taping, Larry pulled me aside and said, kid, keep your chin down, keep your head up, but keep your chin down, keep your nose to yourself and you'll get paid for life. <laughs> and that was Larry Zabisco's advice to me my first day on the job at WCW. And I think Greg Valentine was a, a similar mindset, man. He, he didn't want to be in that top Eric, spot. real fast. Look at the bottom right-hand corner. I don't want it to go away before you acknowledge it. Tell me what you're thinking here. What's that, bud? You got the countdown with the diamond, the, the stick of dynamite about to explode as time, TV time is about to expire, or it feels like it's the second hour. Either way though, the little countdown clock, you didn't do it very long, but you just had a stick of dynamite with a second counter on it counting backwards. And now here we are kicking off the second hour. What'd you think? I, you know, I was so busy listening to myself babble that I didn't really get the impression of it. You know, I didn't see it till right at the very end. I think the idea was there uh, again to make the second hour feel distinctly different than the first hour, rather than the viewers sitting at home through a two hour show. I wanted them to feel like they were watching two one hour shows and there was enough distinction between the two to, to support that effort. And it, what's why you have two different announced teams. Is it to just get them to stick around and not switch over to raw? Of course. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. 
I just wanted you to say that. Here we go. Some personal business. Uh, First of all, I am glad to be back, and I want to thank all the people that sent in cards and and letters to show us support. Quite frankly, I didn't expect it, and it was overwhelming. And I do want to thank you. I also have something I'd like to say to the outsiders, especially you, Nash. I don't know what you were thinking. What are you, seven foot tall, 350 pounds? Who are you trying to impress? Because let me tell you something. I hope you impress somebody. You didn't scare anybody. Sting isn't afraid of you. Lex Luger isn't afraid of you. And I know the macho man Randy Savage isn't afraid of you. And I got something else I want to tell you. We're all going to be there on July 7th, this Sunday. And I can't tell you how much I look forward to it. Just remember, you didn't scare anybody. And now, Brain, we got a lot of action coming up. So that's your return to TV after uh, taking the big power bomb. What do you think of your performance there? I'm just awesome. I love you. Look at you. I mean, really, look at that. Look, I mean, what could be better? How could this be improved upon? Awesome look, dapper dresser. Unlike Tony Schiavone, I look like I walked right off the, you know, the the, the cover of GQ magazine. I, I mean, I'm even color coordinated with Bobby the Brain Heenan, and and I think you know Bobby and I together was just magic. I mean, it's one of those magical combinations in broadcasting that you'll never see again. Uh, so yeah, I, humbly I might add, I, I thought I was fantastic. Is it easy to do? What's that? Jack yourself off 25 years after the fact. <laughs> I've had lots of practice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked the, uh, the little bit there where you're adding a little bit of realism. Oh, and you see the fans popping, getting excited. We do. However, ha- what? Oh, look over there. This works so well, didn't it? Wait a minute. Get them out of here. Uh, get them out of here now. Again. I can't see if they got ball bats. Or it's what live television. There's really not a lot we can do about this. I don't know what they think they're going to do here tonight. I don't know who they oh, think no. they're going to do it to. But like I said, they're not scaring anybody here. Save my partner, uh, Bobby the Brain. He and Bobby, sit down, man. You got enough security around here. We can line your pockets with gold. Nothing's going to happen to you. Trust me. Well, they didn't come here to eat popcorn and drink cokes. Well, that's what they've got. What the heck are they doing? But that's a sham. I know it. They don't have tickets or anything. Get security out here and get them out of here. I want them out of here now. Now, you really think, Eric, they're going to stay in their chairs? I don't, I don't think, think they so. have much choice. They're going to offer popcorn. I don't see a third man there. All right, we got a lot of stuff going on here. It is live. It is Nitro. If you've been with us since May 27th, you've come to expect this kind of interruption. Well, let me tell you something. Luger's here. Sting's here. Savage is here. I only see two of them. 
I don't like them behind me. I don't like them behind me. They've got a plan. They didn't come here to woof down popcorn and have a diet drink. They're here to do some damage to somebody. Probably us. We'll be back with our number two at Nitro right after this timeout. Now, let's tell me, Conrad Thompson, that is not one of the best crossovers you've seen since ever July 1st, 1996. That was an awesome way to kick off the second hour of a show. That is exactly what that format was designed to do to make you feel like you're watching an entirely different show. And what a way to hook the audience. That was, and I'm not, you know, not playing here. It was tremendous magic. No, it was was really television magic right there. Really well done. Especially when you consider it's at the top of Monday night raw. So on the other channel, if you just want to see what's going on, Marty Jannetty's coming out with Jim Cornette. And again, I love those guys, two incredible performers. We've put them over ad nauseum here, but meanwhile, you've got two guys who quote unquote, aren't supposed to be here again, not coming from the back, coming down the stairs with a bag of popcorn and a diet soda. And, uh, we see the head of security, Doug Dillinger come confront them and they show off. Hey, we got tickets, but it, that was it, really well, that was so well done. So proud of that. It doubles down on what you were just talking about a few minutes ago. The anticipation, what's going to happen. I don't want to change the chance. By the way, nothing happened, but it was enough. Nothing that made you think, Hey, something's going to happen. I just got to hang in there. It's sort of like when Uh, you're especially because of what is, what had happened in the previous weeks and Kevin Nash power bombing me off the stage. I mean, we broke all the, I hate using this term because it's overused all the time, but we, we shattered the paradigm. Yes. We shattered what people had come to expect when they tune into professional wrestling. And we did it week after week after week. And now we're, we're reaping the benefits of that. And what's really interesting. And again, I'm not being, I'm just not trying not to be disrespectful or, or, or make light of anything here, but you open a show like that. You've got the audience. They're not going anywhere. They may flip back and forth once or twice, but they're sticking with you because you've told them you have told the audience something is going to happen. Something meaningful is going to happen and they're going to stick with you, which allows you to have a match like the one we're going to see, which is nothing more from a storyline perspective, no disrespect to the talent, but this is just time. This is filling a segment with something entertaining with characters that matter, but the match itself is of no consequence really. And you can afford to do that. Once you've got your audience hooked, you take, it's a roller coaster ride. You bring them in. Boom. We started off hot as hell. We set the anticipate. We're telling the story. We're creating the anticipation, the reality, SARS mm. formula, the reality of them coming down again through the audience. More importantly than that is the reaction from the crowd, the energy that you saw when Scott and came, Scott and Kevin came down through that crowd. If nothing else, convince the viewer at home to stick around and not leave this party because you're afraid you might be afraid you can't get back in. That was that segment. So you can let the show take a breath. Now you don't have to keep that level of intensity up, which again, allows you to have a match like this. It's yes, it's entertaining. It's a time filler, but again, doesn't need to be consequential. Right now we're seeing, uh, the world champion, uh, the, one day big show here. He's known as the giant 
and he's slim and trim wearing the old Andre style singlet, big pair of boots, got the big lion mane, a little bit of facial hair going, and he wore the big gold belt around his waist. This is before he put on some LBs. This is still the Kip up era of uh, Paul white. And he's taking on John Tenta, who we used to know as earthquake. Now he is no longer a shark. He's a man, not a fish, but this man has been walking around airports now for a month with uh, half a head of hair. This feels like a rib. I can't imagine him in real life going through life, you know, taking the kids to school, going to the Walmart, hitting up the airport and you got half a head of hair. It looks That's like what hats are for brother. My goodness. That's what hats are for. I feel like there's a shirt in there somewhere. <laughs> Hypothetically, you'd have been game to walk around with half a head of hair for the right amount of money. Sure. For it's what, just hair for goes what? back. It's not a big fucking deal. I'm glad you said that because we're going to do a, uh, a get together here soon in Chicago, as you know, and bring your checkbook. I know what you're thinking already, brother. I can just see the wheels spinning in your head, even through this zoom call. Yep. The gears are grinding. Yep. Big checkbook. We don't actually trying- wouldn't need to be that big. I do. I do silly shit like that. I'll tell I keep telling my wife, I'm going to shave my head. Just. Well, hang tight. Wait till Chicago. We're going to let you and Jeff Jarrett square off. We're going to come up with something. Uh, but, uh, I think it would be hilarious. I've been teasing Jeff because, uh, we, you know, every now and again, I have, uh, through the whole pandemic, we had a lady stop by the office and cut everybody's hair if you needed one. Cause at the time that was like a whole big thing. It was tough to do. So we had a lady stop by the office and knock it out. Whoever needed a haircut. So she happened to be there one day when Jeff was there. And I said, Hey man, haircut lady's coming today at noon. If you're in, he's like, what? And I said, well, yeah, during the pandemic, you know, you, a lot of them were closed and it was hard to get scheduled. And do you go, do you not go blah, blah, blah. But you know, she has her COVID test and you know, she wears a mask and yeah, yeah, but she'll cut your hair. So anyway, uh, he says, nah, I think I'm good, but he looks like 1986 Jeff Jarrett. I mean, he's got a next level. Kentucky waterfall mullet in the works right now. Does he really? I mean, it's not, it's not long, but it's, it's not far from being where it needs to be. And I see last time I, the last time I saw Jeff was when we were both working in, uh, in WWE and, and I was living in Connecticut and man, he looked like he was like corporate and he had a perfect, he had a Vince McMahon like haircut. Every hair was in place and it was stylish as could be. And he's reverted back to his roots, so to yes, speak. Yes. Coming back with a mullet. I love it. He said, you know, hey, Vince likes it tight, but I don't want <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not in the office every day, so they don't know. So yeah, he's got the, uh, he's got the main going. I'm not going to say it's to the giants level here, but it ain't far off. And I said, man, we got to do some sort of hair for charity gimmick. We got to do some sort of fundraiser where you'll cut your hair. So now that you, I know your game too, we're going to have a hair off here for charity. <laughs> I'll do anything for fun. I don't care. So right now we've got, uh, perhaps the longest giant match on nitro. I'm being facetious, but in this era, it felt like it was wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Choke slam. We're done. And, uh, we haven't quite gotten there yet. Don't forget Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are sitting ringside little bit of a glance as, as, uh, Paul white came to the ring in their direction. 
and he's doing the old classic Andre spot here, but I don't think he's all the way comfortable with it yet. No, this is awkward. And again, from a, you know, creative perspective, this match should have never gone more than 34 minutes, five minutes. This is just too slow too plotting plotting's word and the, you know, the offense, even now, you know, you're looking at a fired up, you know, giant there firing elbows into the chest. That was the most dynamic thing that we've seen so far. And we're a good four or five minutes into this match. Everything else looked pretty lame. You know, in hindsight, they should have just refused Scott Hall entry. And they're like a no shirt, no shoes, no service rule. I mean, what the hell bring him bring- Not for wrestling fans. You got to keep in mind, you know, wrestling fans come to party. They didn't come to dress up and impress. They're coming to party. So if you started excluding people or preventing people from coming in based on their attire in a lot of places that I've been, you don't have about six or eight people in the audience. Well, my point was these days, I think they'd walk over and then hand him a Seth Rollins shirt or something and say, Hey, you got to put, yeah, absolutely. If you're going to sit there, sell something, I get it. By the way, I don't know that anybody has really ever talked about this a lot, but whenever we would get shots of the guys in the front row, even this morning, I'm asking myself, dude, how do they have this much room? Like those are two big fellas and they don't look like they're crammed in there at all. And then you get a tighter shot and you realize there's an empty seat between them, which makes me wonder, did they just request, Hey man, we want to look cool. We don't want to look like we're squeezed into a sardine can or is it empty because they're trying to build to, Hey, there's three of us. Who's the of third course. man and of that's, course. and that's just a few days away. It, it, it just reiterates your, oh, and you see Kevin Sullivan making a run in here coming after his old protege, the shark, but thankfully the giants awake. And I bet he's going to turn around into something dastardly. Anyway, the go home thing. Who's the third man. Who's the third man. There's even an empty third seat in the front row planning, man, planning. And we see now the humiliation continues. Uh, it's not enough that big Bubba shaved half his head. Now he's shaving his beard. I'll tell you what, John tend to look better without that beard. If he'd have shaved the, shaved that beard off, shaved the rest of his head. He'd have been a handsome son of a bitch. Well, that may be pushing it. How would you you describe this big Bubba outfit? You know, I, I saw a documentary once about fetishes and quirks, and that's right up there. I thought it was the YMCA deal. There it is. Big choke slam. Boy, this show is uh it's a tale of two WCWs today, is it not? <laughs> I was I was gonna say a tale of two storylines, but yeah, it's here's, this is, this is 80s right here. You're looking at some of the best of the eighties right there in that match. And in this promo, look at this, you know, the taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, and you got the YMCA, big Bubba, Jimmy Hart, the carnival clown and, 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 and the giant, you know, he, he's right over from the freak show at the circus. And Mean Gene, the straight man of the bunch. This is, yep, this is the this is late '80s right here. Yeah, this is this is wrestling. Do you miss it? 
do you miss this kind of this style of present when it's just so silly and over the top, you know, it's not really believable, but it's still entertaining. Do you miss that when it's done? Well, yes, but there's a lot of times when it's done bad. I think doing it well is doing it with acknowledging it. It's kind of tongue in cheek. You know what you're doing and you're having fun doing it and you're not taking yourself or the story too seriously. Then I think it can be entertaining. It's when you start believing that it's working and you're taking it seriously that it gets to be a little bit tough to swallow. So we're going to see another uh, big interaction here momentarily uh, with the outsiders. But before we do, I guess we should put a bow on what we just saw. This is very much the era where the after magazines have all these fantasy warfare matchups. And at the time they were comparing world champ versus world champ, Shawn Michaels versus the giant. Who would you like in that in 1996? Shawn Michaels versus a giant. Yeah. Oh, you got to go with Shawn Michaels. Got to go with the underdog. Yeah. How the hell do you not? Coming up in a minute, I think we're going to see um, a little bit from Ray Mysterio and then uh, a little more interaction from the outsiders. Don't forget, though, our big main event, boys and girls. You want to talk about a big time nitro, the four horsemen and an eight man tag against the rock and roll express, Joe Gomez and the renegade. So Conrad, you were obviously you were, this is, I think you said before, this is kind of like the height of your fandom growing up, right? Yeah. In August is when I I got back in, I, I was not watching in this very moment. Obviously I've gone back and seen all of this since, but I'm flipping through the channels one day. And I see Hulk Hogan outdoors, uh, wearing all black. And I thought, wait a minute, what is this? And, uh, I was back in cause I grew up big Hulkamaniac. So I was curious. So you, you, uh, you didn't really, you weren't watching it all. Then you had no idea who the third man was or, or even if that storyline existed, I'll be honest. I didn't know who diesel and razor Ramon were. Wow. I had no frame of reference for neither did anybody else, by the way, which is why my story about them coming in to gain revenge on the people in WCW who didn't give them the opportunities they felt they deserved <clears throat> your honor was exactly on the money. I don't know about all that. We'll, uh, we'll, de- <laughs> we'll defer to Scott Hall last week. I'm just having fun. No, I know how, how great was Scott last week on the show? Scott we- was awesome. Scott, man, I wish, I wish there was an opportunity to sit and talk to him more. You know, I, th- I think he, you know, you could tell by, you know, after the first hour or so Scott was getting a little antsy, but man, when you get him in the right frame of mind, hard to be excited to talk about wrestling. And he's talking about the things that he wants to talk about, which has a lot more to do with psychology and storytelling and presentation than, you know, f- historic facts. Um, he's so good, man. He's so knowledgeable. He's just a wealth of information and a good human being. Here's a promo for WCW Saturday night. Let's take a listen. Eastern on TBS, the number one watch wrestling program each and every weekend. American males take on the Rock and Roll Express. Diamond Dallas Page in singles competition. What if you find his ring by then? Chris Benoit, Cobra, Sting, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Alex Luger. Six-man tag team action coming your way. 605 Eastern and only on TBS. I love that station. The brain station. All right, coming up. 
Bash at the Beach, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis. Two guys that are going to light up a lot of people at Bash at the Beach. Let's take a look right now, a special look at one very exciting, very dynamic Rey Mysterio Jr. So even though Ray is going to revolutionize cruiserweight wrestling and, and acrobatics and high flying and high risk and et cetera, et cetera. At this point, I think he's Owen two in the company, but it doesn't make what he's doing any less spectacular. Uh, so here's a, a really cool package and you get to see him doing all kinds of stuff that these days people might say, oh, well, I saw that on so-and-so show. Yeah, but Ray did it first. And I think you could argue well, Ray did it better. You may see it on another show, but you won't see it done this well. Yes. agree. I don't think there's anybody in the industry today and probably won't be for a long time that brings the talent that Ray Mysterio brought to the ring back in 1996. He not only innovated, he did it in a way that I don't think anybody's going to come close to oh, here we achieving go. Here we go. his level of success. What now? Taking over a little early. Hey, look. Hey, look. Big man. Donnie Osmond's back. He's back. <laughs> hey, Bischoff, you get a couple frequent flyer miles from that last ride there. Oh, that's good. That's real good. Eric, let's get out of here. Oh, my God. Hey, get him out of here. Easy. Oh, look, the clowns. Look at the clowns. Oh, look at the clowns. Get him out of here. I don't, I'm still looking this for that so third good. guy. There's still just two of them. Look at Savage, the wild man. Savage He's going. You don't want none of this. None of this. Bubba's out here. Diamond Dallas is out here. Kevin Sullivan's out. The Giants just come out. I tell you is this what. the best you got? Is this the best you got? You're going to need more than that. I'm telling you, I don't like the looks of this. I mean, you've got everybody in the WCW locker room. They have put everything aside. Out there, the Steiners are out there. Sting's out there. They're calling for you. I'm not leaving here. I'm not getting anywhere near that situation. They're throwing them out of here, aren't they? So it looks like the police thing have things under control now. And the outsiders have been ushered out, but leading the WCW charge, Lex Luger and sting face paint, the macho man and sting face paint. And of course, sting in his own face paint. But one of the things that, uh, well, a lot to unpack there. First of all, how did they get the mic? I assume in storyline, they got the mic from, uh, the ringside announcer, Mr. Uh, yeah, they just snatched it. They reached over the guardrail, and snatched it. Yes. There's a ring right there. They could see it. They thought, well, here's an opportunity. Let's stir some shit up. They just snatched it. And then number two, it sounded like when the first cop tried to 
handle Nash. He said, get the fuck off of me. And it made air and it's still not edited, which is kind of cool. The reference to Attica at the end, which I believe was a prison riot from like 15 years prior to this, where prisoners in New York were upset with their treatment and, uh, overall conditions of the prison. So I like the idea that he's referencing a riot. I don't know that that probably went over a lot of people's heads at the time. Uh, but I like the, the scene of chaos here. Like this doesn't feel make believe there's multiple shots. People are standing around. The police are there. This doesn't feel like a part of a wrestling angle. Let's see what you're breaking down here. News for you folks. That is nothing compared to what's going on right there. Right now, the macho man, Randy Savage sting Luger and company. I'm looking forward to the seventh and frankly brain. So am I. And unfortunately, I don't mean to cut you off. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Hopefully we'll be able to settle this thing down. Boy, you're really building to you've consistently hit sting. Luger Savage and they're ready for these three, whoever they may be this Sunday. And now mean jeans in the back. And this is uh a tale of two WCWs. Here we go. Check this out. Number one wrestling television program in all of cable. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, wait come on and if you would please please yeah. excuse me for interrupting you, but old Hacksaw, I just went back to the toilet to relieve myself. I'm looking down on the ground and lo and behold, look what I whoa, found. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's that that king of the ring. I understand DDP is out here whining and crying that somebody stole his ring. Obviously, you could tell that I wouldn't steal his ring because I wear a man-sized ring. You not found, found that in the men's room? Well, yes, so I certainly did. There. You know, right he thought somebody floor. stole it. Stole it. Who would want this little feminine piece of metal wrapped around their finger? Not Hacksaw Jim Bud Duggan, but being the ex-boy scout that I am, I come here to Eugene to show you that I'll bring this back. I'll give it to DDP if he wants it. All right, let me point out for the record, this coming Sunday night live from Daytona, exclusively right on pay-per-view. Found it in the men's room. Well, yes. I was right back You're going to be facing... Gene. Go ahead. Excuse me. I'm going to be fair, right? I'm going to be facing big old DDP at Bash at the Beach at a tape fist match. Sometimes makes me wonder if this ring's a little too tight around his finger. You're not thinking right, Paige. You're getting the ring with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Not that I'm no great technical wrestler. Wait a minute. Get him out of here. Thief. Thief. I told you. Dude, what the fuck are we watching? This is a mess. <clears throat> And, and Mean Gene called the damn you know, ring some, the king of the ring, which is... I, I heard that. It's a wonder we didn't get sued for that as well. You know that Hacksaw Jim Duggan set a high school shot put record in New York that still stands to this day? Do you know that? I, I believe it. I mean, I'm not arguing he's an athlete. Look at the dude. But I'm just saying... Comparing con, I mean, these two segments touching, I mean, I guess a commercial break separated them, but there's so much realism. There's fucking police involved and it, it, it's chaos and it, it's totally different. And then what we just saw, you know, that could have happened in, uh, the AWA in 1984. Yeah. Could, yeah. Could have happened in the team challenge series for sure. Up next we were though, finding ourselves Conrad, we were finding ourselves, baby. Feeling the spirit of Dusty Rhodes today. I don't know why. By the way, as a reminder, as interesting as this show is, oh, check him out. Ricky Morton, first man out for the main event. 
let's, uh, before we talk about ratings, cause I do want to talk about that in a minute. Let's acknowledge what we've got here. Ricky Morton leading the way, followed by Robert Gibson, then Joe Gomez, a handsome some bitch. And then in the back, the renegade who sadly is no longer with us looking a little Rico suave there. The rock and roll express, uh, weren't long for WCW, but boy, a handful of years prior to this, uh, well, a little more than that, I guess 1985 and certainly 1986, they were, you know, one of the biggest draws in all of professional wrestling. Obviously Hulk Hogan's number one, but you got to think somewhere in that dusty roads, Ric Flair, uh, level is the rock and roll express. And then all of a sudden it's like one day it changed, but they're very capable performers, very capable tag team wrestlers. What was it about them that didn't fit WCW long-term? Was it just the gear and the presentation? It can't be the work, right? No, it wasn't the work. I think it was the gear and the presentation and, and the fact that, you know, the, the presentation of wrestling in general, not just theirs and the ring attire and their look and all that, um, things were evolving and it didn't feel like the rock and roll express would really have an opportunity to evolve with it. I know what I'm saying sounds a little stupid and <clears throat> contradictory because we just saw some silliness you know, in terms of presentation style has nothing to do with the talent of one. Right. But the whole segment was just cornball and with, with DDP and, and hacksaw, you know, fighting over a ring. Mm. Um, here's the, here's the uh, promo. Let's listen. It will be heard around the world. So why don't we just do this right here, right now? You want a war? You got one. The colossal giant seeks to settle the score with the four horsemen. It's WCW's Bash at the Beach. Direct TV subscribers call to order now at 1-800-347-3288. Do you know, do you know who did your voiceovers for those pay-per-view promos back then? I do not. Anyway, let's get back to the rock and roll express. Uh, you know, I'm just curious. And I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm just asking if you know, it's two capable performers. Why not go? If you think it really is just their look and presentation. Okay, guys, we want to get you haircuts. We want to get you some new gear and we want to change your names to be this. Uh, but we know that you can get great matches out of the public enemy and Harlem heat and the Steiner brothers and all of our other tag teams. So let's just update your look a little bit and let's get going. Instead, it's more of a, well, they didn't really fit in with what they were presenting at the time. And I understand that it's not like in this era, you guys had costuming, you know, guys were responsible for that. It's not like now where but there's a barber backstage and there's a seamstress backstage. It's a different era. I understand, but I am curious, do you give them the opportunity or do you take more of the approach of, well, Hey, they're independent contractors and it's up to them to sort of figure that out and bring us something we like, you know, it's probably, I mean, honestly, it was somewhere in the middle of that. I think I'll just speak from my own perspective at that time. Um, things were moving so fast. Changes were being made. We were trying to make even more changes. There was so much growth going on in WCW, not just in, in terms of what you saw on television. That's just a small part of it. Um, is an important part of it. Don't get me wrong. But if you think that there were a lot of changes and things happening on television, you would have loved to have been 
in the offices with me on a day-to-day basis, because that's where things were really changing. And I think, and I'm not trying to make an excuse. Um, it either showed up on TV and was working or it wasn't. Mm. And I just think that my focus was not on ways to improve certain talents presentation. It was okay. This is working. This is not let's phase what's not working out. Let's try something new. I was probably more um, likely to try to take something brand new and make it work a la glacier, you know, good or bad, right or wrong. Obviously it was, you know, bad timing and all that, but rather than trying to fix something that was old, I was looking for something that was new, if that makes sense. And I did, I didn't do a great job of that, by the way, clearly your, your point is well taken because I, and by the way, I will also say, you know, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, two of the nicest guys in the world to work with, two yep. of the easiest people to work with, completely professional, absolutely could deliver in the ring. I'm pretty certain had I sat down and said, okay, guys, here's what I'd like to do going forward to kind of change things up a little bit. I doubt there would have been any hesitancy at all from either one of them. I could be wrong. I don't, I, I've never gotten to know them real well personally, but what I've learned since this time and spending time with these two guys is they're just completely class act. So I think it could have been, and I think your point is well taken. And we made an effort to, you know, kind of bring them up to speed, so to speak, in terms of presentation and cleaned up the, the gimmick a little bit. They could have had a lot more to contribute than they did. It's just interesting to me. And I'm not trying to pick, I'm just saying, it's interesting that we've spent an, an exhaustive amount of time, effort, energy, cash, etc., developing a gimmick for the glacier persona, but we're not going to have a conversation with these guys who have tassels on their britches. It's like, well, and also too, let's, let's not forget that earlier in this very same show, we saw a man with half a head of hair. And we also saw a, an Elvis impersonator and a disco ball involved in a finish. And, uh, yeah. And, and by the way, the renegade, a knockoff ultimate warrior is in the main event clotheslining. Rick Flair. Let's talk about Joe Gomez. We've talked about renegade before. We've never spent an iota talking about Joe Gomez outside of the other day. When we saw Rick Flair attacking backstage with Arn Anderson, good looking dude, tall dude, got the cool hair, capable performer. I'm friendly with Joe these days. And he jokes, quote unquote, I ate myself out of the business. Why don't you think Joe did more with WCW? I mean, here he is main eventing a nitro against the horseman in 1996. Joe had all of the potential in the world. He had a great look. He was more than adequate in the ring. He was a good performer. He could cut a promo. You know, he didn't get a lot of opportunity, but he had the ability, he had the, the natural ability. I think Joe's, I want to say his downfall. I think the reason that Joe didn't quite live up to his potential is because Joe was busy doing a lot of other things. Joe's an entrepreneur's yes, entrepreneur. He yes, he is. And I think if you talk to Joe today, <clears throat> he might tell you that he didn't really take advantage of the opportunity that he had. It certainly wasn't because he didn't have the talent. It certainly wasn't because he didn't have the relationships. He's very close to Ric Flair and Arn Anderson still is to this day. Yes. 
In fact, Joe Gomez traveled to Chicago recently with Ric Flair to spend some time with Steve McMichael during his, his challenge. Um, so Joe had, Joe had a lot of things going for him. And I think one of the things that perhaps bit him in the ass was he was too good at too many things. He had restaurants, he had nightclubs, um, and th- that life, you know, as you know, Conrad, as well as anybody, or probably more than most, when you run your own business, you're running your business 24 hours a day. Yes, sir. You're running your business in your sleep. You're dreaming about your business and the challenges that you have and ways to overcome those challenges. And I think Joe was more than anything. Uh, he took wrestling very seriously, enjoyed doing it. He had goals, but I think he had goals outside of the industry that really prevented him from putting a hundred percent into the wrestling side of it. That's just my take. He and Mongo here going toe to toe. Let's, uh, let's jump into some questions. Brant wants to know how important was it for Eric Bischoff to make sure that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were largely wearing black attire during the early weeks to differentiate themselves from the more colorful gimmicks in the WWF and the overall colorful product that was wrestling in 1996. That's interesting because we did see both guys sitting ringside wearing all black. And of course we remember when uh, Kevin Nash debuted again, wearing a black shirt. I know some people would say, well, that's just how diesel dressed, but it is going to become a staple color for the NWO. Was that a conscious thing? Hey guys, you wear black if you can. Yep. Yep. You know, we knew we, well, that we wanted them to stand out in the sense that they weren't being colorful like everybody else. We didn't want them showing up looking like, you know, they just came out of wardrobe and, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get attention with their, their attire. You know, the black kind of represented the anarchy that the NWO would go on to kind of personify. And it was a conscious decision starting out. Obviously we continued it throughout the, throughout the NWO story, uh, when they finally showed up with the gear and they're all in black and white. It's interesting to me that we've watched this entire show at, well, I mean, we're not done, but this is the main event, but still no sting match, no Luger match. They're the prime time figures in this main event this weekend. And obviously they had their interactions with the outsiders, but no in-ring action and savage rather than being in a, in a, in a hot angle or something like that. And, and he's still sort of in the background. Oh yeah. These damn horsemen are spending all my money, but he doesn't wrestle a horseman. He's wrestling Greg Valentine just six days before the match that changes the course of the entire promotion. Savage is in a largely forgettable match with Greg Valentine. Sting and Luger don't wrestle at all. If you had this to do over again, would you change that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think one of the mistakes, and I recognize it, you know, back in 96 and and even prior to that. And again, trying to reshape the way we approach stories and integrate the Sarsa formula that I ripped off from Dick Ebersol, quite honestly. Um, it occurred to me that one of the mistakes that we made in WCW often, and actually was made in professional wrestling across the board, WWE did the same thing, is you feel the need while my main event guys are, you know, they're wrestling the main event in a pay-per-view. We've got to have them in action, you know, going on the go-home show. And I, I don't subscribe to that theory. If you do a great job of building your story 
and creating anticipate, do it all. If you do everything else right, if you check all the SARSA boxes, it's best not for your top talent to be engaging and touching. It's best not to overexpose them. Why give them for free what you hope they're going to pay for? Because you think by giving them a little bit more for free and exposing the action a little bit more, that they'll be even more inclined to buy. I don't believe that. I, 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 if you now, if you don't have a great story, if you haven't built up anticipation, if people haven't bought into the reality of it, you know, if you haven't integrated some surprises, yeah, you need that action at the end. That's the element that you need. If you haven't done everything else, yep, you need to do that to make up for it. But, but if you've checked all of the other boxes, save the action to the pay-per-view, give them the story, create the anticipation, create the reality, develop some surprises, but save the action for the money match. Firmly believe that even to this day, I think we overexpose. And I say we, cause I've done it myself. I think people that write wrestling sometimes feel the need to go further than they should by having talent engage in action. Um, and it's primarily because they haven't really checked all of the other boxes leading up to it. And this formula worked. I mean, my God, if there is ever a master class in creating, you know, a wrestling story model, the NWO story should be it. Um, because it did everything right. And I don't want to make it sound like I knew I was doing everything right. Some of this, I've learned what I did right after I did it. Right. You know, I, I know that sounds weird, but it's true. Um, when you look back on something and say, well, how, why did that work? It's just as important to understand why something works as why something doesn't work. So you can kind of rinse and repeat that formula or modify the formula a little bit. So it doesn't look like you're doing the same thing all the time, but my God, everything was done perfectly. There was no way I would go back and have those guys engaged because we didn't need to, we had the, we had the anticipation box checked three times over. And there it is. There's your finish. Uh, Mongo threw the Halliburton across the ring and, uh, yeah, whatever. But immediately flair hooks the figure four on renegade renegade barely has it on before he's tapping. Uh, boy, everybody who uh, even looks like the ultimate warriors having a bad week this week. <laughs> karma, baby karma. You want to give everybody a, a time code here to let everybody where we are as we're winding down the show. I am at one twenty-seven forty-nine. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off. Like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professionals background or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all of those terms, your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Learn about these investment products and more at investor.gov. Your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, investor.gov. So I got to admit, my uh, my wife is what I would call a low talker. If you're a longtime Seinfeld fan, you know what I'm talking about. But sometimes I feel like she's doing it just because she knows I wear headphones a lot here for my, uh, <clears throat> part-time job podcasting. And so she'll be talking. I fucking hate that. And so now as a result, 
I've even found that when, uh, when my mother-in-law's in town, she'll want to turn on the closed captions. Somehow my wife is turning on the closed captions now too. So here's the deal. I'm just going to go ahead and give you a pro tip. MD hearing aid is an FDA registered digital hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. The average price of a hearing aid in America is over $2,400 a pair, but the Volt plus model is just $299.99 when you buy a pair and that's nearly 90% less. MD hearing aid was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many patients needed hearing aids, but couldn't afford them. He made it his mission to develop quality hearing aids that anyone could afford. Their sleek design fits so well, no one will even know you're wearing it. Plus it's rechargeable with a battery life that lasts up to 30 hours. If you forget to take your hearing aids off in the shower, not to worry. The Volt Plus is waterproof and up to three feet of water. You don't even need a prescription or a doctor's appointment. You buy it directly from them with audiologists, licensed hearing specialists that are available seven days a week. How do they make their hearing aids so affordable? Well, since about 95% of the people who need a hearing aid only require a few settings, MD hearing aid simplified the need for certain components not needed by most people. The result is MD hearing aid has brought affordable hearing to over 600,000 satisfied customers. They have an A plus better business bureau rating and offer, check this out, a 45 day risk-free trial with a 100% money back guarantee. So you can buy with confidence. Check out this testimonial. Simply put, MD Hearing Aid is a way cheaper and way better. Edward in Wayne, New Jersey says that the MD Hearing Aid is the best hearing aid he's used at any price. While Walter says the MD Hearing Aids are just as good as the ones he spent $4,000 on. Again, these are just $2.99 each. It's reclaimed. It's, it's time to reclaim your life from hearing loss. Go to mdhearingaid.com and use promo code 83 weeks to buy one and get one for $2.99 each. Plus they offer free extra charging case. That's a hundred dollar value just because you listen to 83 weeks. So head to mdhearingaid.com and use our promo code 83 weeks, or you can even give them a call right now at 1-855-671-2524. That's 1-855-671-2524. Again, that's mdhearingaid.com and use our promo code 83weeks. And don't forget, you're going to get that buy one, get one offer at $299.99 plus that extra free charging case, $100 value at mdhearingaid.com, promo code 83weeks. I think we're going to get, uh, we got a few more minutes here. So let's see how we finish this episode of nitro. And I want to remind you, Eric, this is a winning effort. We're going to hear a little bit of a promo, uh, but raw does a 2.6 nitro gets a 3.3. Let's see what mean gene and the horseman have to say. I don't care about Chicago. This is my team now, baby. And I will do whatever it takes for us to win at every level. All right, Chris Benoit, Arn Anderson, gentlemen, I want to get the two of you in here. Coming up this Sunday in Daytona and also available on pay-per-view, the two of you are going to be facing the Giant and the Taskmaster, Jimmy Hart in the corner. If the horsemen win, then one week from tonight you will face the Giant with the WCW Heavyweight title on the line. No disqualification, no count-out. It it is going to be a must-win situation. Sullivan, obviously the voice of experience hasn't spoken loud enough. I just didn't beat you quite enough last time. 
As for the giant, well, the gold's coming back to where it belongs. Arn Anderson, uh, this man I've never seen, you've got him cranked up. Maybe Sullivan got him cranked up. Who knows? Sort of a flat finish to a show here. Yeah, not big on in ending shows on promos. Uh, not sure what I was thinking here, but it wasn't clearly uh, wasn't clearly wasn't a great way to end this show, especially one with that much action. I mean, you're bringing it down. You know, I would have much rather just gone off hot. A chance to sell they, the they paper. This promo, sure, this but... promo was not necessary for this match. We'd already covered it. Everybody knew what the story was. It was just filler. Or you don't like it, brother. The nature boy becomes the U.S. champion one more time. And then, old nasty little devil and old big giant, you got to face double A and the crippler. You know what a girl the other night told me about three in the morning? What, what's that? She kissed the crippler on the cheek. She said, ha! Silent, but deadly. <laughs> In other words, he runs silent, baby, and he runs deep. And Giant, you want to jump on this with a Taskmaster? Then be there because the part. Well, that high-pitched Ric Flair shit is him in real life, by the way, when he gets fired. It is so funny. And what's even more ironic here is that Ric Flair just re referred to uh, Chris Benoit as flatulence. Silent, but deadly. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to touch that comment. Let's talk about the dark match after the show. Uh, because I was curious. I'm like, man, there's no way they sent him home like this. Of course they didn't. It's Randy Savage and Ric Flair. Of course they have a hot issue, sort of a subplot, a B storyline, if you will. But what's most interesting about this is, and again, remember we're just outside of Baltimore there in Maryland. Uh, the US Air Arena at the time. The special guest referee, Bruno Sammartino. That's a pretty cool deal. Yeah, it was very cool. I had a, I had a, a, a great time meeting Bruno Sammartino and had dinner with him. It was an enjoyable experience. And we're not done. You're still going to do a little bit more selling. Is this a poor, poorly timed show? It appears that way, doesn't it? It just doesn't feel like it's, I mean, there's no way we should be filling this much time after that, that main event. Not Brandy sure Savage, why we did it. He's out of his mind. Because we were out of time. Yeah. We had too much time here. These guys are bound and determined to try to do it here tonight. And I'll tell you what, this isn't the place for it. the time for talking, the time for interrupting. It's all over with, man. It's July 7th. It's the bash at the beach. It's time to put up shut up and go away it's that simple you know it amazed me how everybody just got together how the tempers are flaring back there i'll tell you they don't want it to happen out here tonight they want it to happen at the batch at the beach but eric i've got to know if someone can call me or let me know this week i've got to know who that third man is uh, why can't we know it we've talked about that before i think it's it, it's simple cowardice on their part they know who we're putting up we put up and they shut up they, they just did not want to let it. Now, I want to know why. There's got to be a reason why. And we're going to find out that reason. We're going to find who this person is. 
Well, this is Coming war. This be all you can be. Yeah, There'll be, be no dear be. John letters. There'll hold, be no hold, 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 hold it, Heenan. Hold it. We, it's going on again backstage. I don't know. You must be scared. All you got to do is get a job to pay right, something, right? Easy, Sergeant Carter. Hey, I bought a ticket. That's right. I bought a ticket. Making me Hey, you guys, how about I buy y'all a donut, huh? Coffee and donuts on the outside. Hey, Watch out there. You might hurt their little press pants there. You guys gonna be Easy, ladies. Easy, ladies. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Just get in the car. Right, right. Get in the car. Get in the car. Take some time. I got car. bad knees. Yeah, okay. You're going to have more than bad look knees. At, okay? Take a good look at this get, car, get, boys. Get, yeah. Good night. Good night. Yeah, good night. take a good. You guys couldn't afford one of these and you all pulled your checks. Have a nice day. See ya, buddy. Woo! So the outside Damn, Conrad. That was so, this. I don't know, man. It's going to be tough. Tough for anybody to come up with a show and an angle and a story that will live up to that. There were so many things that we did right. So many things. There were a lot of things we did wrong, too, and a ton of things we could have done better. But the elements that made the NWO work were just evident as hell in this show. They really were. Two questions, though. One. Did you notice Kevin Nash was going more to his Vinny Vegas tone of voice? I noticed that, you know, I, well, I, I, who was that comedian? Uh, oh my God. He's like an eighties guy. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay. I, I didn't, I didn't hear Vinny Vegas because I didn't really watch a lot of Vinny Vegas, but I did hear a little bit of Andrew Dice Clay in that one. And they parked in the back. Hmm. Good catch there, Mr. Thompson. And the police tried to get him out of there for 20 minutes during the entire main event and the promo after, but we'll beat it up next week. We're going to be back as we continue <laughs> down the road. Our 20 buzzkill buzzkill do way to kill a good show, bro. We're going to have another great show coming up next. You know what it is. It's bash at the beach, 1996. And we have another big surprise. Stay tuned boys and girls. We appreciate all your support right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Love talking about my friend, Steven Singer. You know, the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer. Because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. 
Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's I hate Steven Singer.com. Why adfreeshows.com? It's simple. It's early and ad-free. Why wait for your favorite shows to drop when you can listen as soon as they stop recording? There's no need to wait. You can access it all before anyone else can. Plus, no ads. No one telling you what to bundle or how to keep that man part standing tall. None of that. It's just straight content from all your favorite hosts, including Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Kurt Angle, and the rest of the team. That's not all. You also get immediate access to watching their reactions live on video as well so don't put it off any longer do it now you won't be disappointed start enjoying all the podcasts you love early and ad free at adfreeshows.com you know this show really grows through word of mouth uh we don't do any real advertising for our podcast people just talk about it and then ta-da people start to subscribe word of mouth is the way to go and we want to thank james up in hendersonville tennessee for suggesting and referring and spreading the word of mouth of SaveWithConrad.com, We hooked him up. He left us a five-star review and he had this to say, this process was as easy as it could have been. Jimmy and the team were on top of things from the very beginning. The communication was great. And I'll be recommending you all to anyone who asks great job. Thank you, James. We take pride in helping people save money and making it fast and easy. I get it. You're listening to a wrestling podcast and you want to hear wrestling stories. You don't really want to hear mortgage talk, but I feel strongly that saving money is important. You know, if it's not something we worry about now, boy, we are really going to worry about it later. And I want to help you get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30 year loan, now is the time to take years off of your loan. We're routinely helping our listeners cut five, 10, even 15 years off their loan. And you can do this without perfect credit with no money out of pocket. You've just got to start at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Seriously, if you're in a 30 year loan, please let me run the numbers. You'll be glad you did at savewithconrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.